if you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. If you're a regular follower of this podcast, then you've already met my Protestant friend, Ed. About a year, maybe two years ago, Ed started, well, considering Catholicism. He started investigating it, reading up on it, talking to people about it, and he reached out to me and we started talking about it together. And I tried to answer his questions, explain why I converted. The backstory is, is that Ed and I have known each other for 20 years, and we used to be on staff at the same evangelical church. And when I entered the Catholic church, it kind of threw him and a lot of my friends for a loop. But as I said, Ed reached out about a year or two years ago and said, I'm kind of wondering why you did that. And I'm a little bit curious about Catholicism myself. So I gave him some books to read. He and I started meeting for tacos uh, once a week, and we'd start talking about Catholic topics. And eventually we decided, hey, you know, we should record these conversations. So you're getting to listen in in real time. And I'm sharing with you the kinds of conversations that we're having and how I'm answering his questions. Well, for any Protestant who's considering Catholicism, one of the biggest and sometimes maybe the last big hurdle is to get over the issue of Mary. The whole doctrine of Mary, who Mary is, all the various Marian doctrines and devotions, it's, it's really kind of scary for Protestants because you've been told that to believe in Mary in the way that Catholics do is essentially to kind of be a neo-pagan, to believe in this other sort of weird goddess. Well, Ed and I finally got around to beginning to talk about Mary. And I'll let you listen into our conversation when he asked the first big question. What about this immaculate conception thing? Welcome to Church Chats with Greg and Ed, where Greg and his Protestant friend Ed chat about the church. Okay, so we've we've covered a lot of topics, and mm-hmm. I just feel like there's a million more. Right. Like we could just, we could go out every morning for burritos, uh, breakfast burritos. And, and, and God just willing, going. we right. will. Yeah. If, I, if, yeah. If, if God answers my prayers, Ed, we yeah. will go out. And there search. must be some kind of grant. That's that right. We, That's, we, need a, we need a grant. We need a grant from a foundation <laughs> that will help us to pursue the perfect breakfast burrito across right. this, 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 you know, bountiful land and talk about and, Catholicism. And, and, and later we on, we'll make up a reason that, that, supports it we'll come up with that later that's right like at art prize where they have the descriptions of this horrible <laughs> art and it's really all about you yeah, okay. um okay so here's a big one yep um this is maybe the biggest gripe about catholics that i've heard from my uh protestant friends and all my life as we've uh, uh um uh gotten into you know gripe sessions about the catholics and how horrible they are and how dumb they are and all that is uh is the treatment of mary right okay this is a big one I read someplace recently, what are the three biggest obstacles for a Protestant converting to Catholicism? Mary, Mary, and Mary. Correct. Okay. Um, 
So we've already covered some of this ground about... And then let me just say, I, I affirm that because it was for me and my conversion. So, you know, as I converted to Catholicism, it's like one by one, you it's like you're doing the 100-yard dash and you clear the hurdles. Right. And, you know, you get over the hurdle of this and the hurdle of that and the hurdle of that. It became really attracted to Catholicism, but there was this Protestant instinct in me right. that once I uh, sort of gave into the Marian doctrines or the Marian right. theology, or I got a rosary and I, right. you know, pray to Hail Mary or something like that, that at that point I would cross some line that, right. that once you cross it, you can never go back. And I would have like done idolatrous Catholic stuff. Right. And it was like terrifying for me. And, and it came down, you know, so, so it is, right. I always felt like it's the last hurdle I had to get Greg over. is history. He's doing that rosary thing. Just let him go. Just let him go. <laughs> cut him loose. Just cut him loose. Um, so I don't need, we, we've talked a lot. We talked about saints in one of these podcasts and right. I understand the Catholic position about how we could talk to or communicate with or be heard by a person who has died and gone on. I understand right. that we don't need to, I don't need to cover that again. Um, and, <clears throat> and I understand that we're not, I understand that Catholics are not praying to Mary, that that's an unfortunate language problem. Right. Okay. Uh, so, so, uh, but let's get into, maybe let's just get into a, a, a sort of a, a theological thing here. I, I heard all my life about the Immaculate Conception, and I always assumed it was about Jesus, mm -hmm. that he was immaculately conceived. Right. And then, and then, uh, you know, I mean, five or 10 years ago, I thought, wait, 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 I think I misunderstood this was, which of course, caused me to question everything else I've misunderstood about right. the Catholic Church. But right. So can you explain that to me, the Immaculate yes. Conception? Yes. Okay, so first of all, let's just say what it is. Um, as you say, the Immaculate Conception is not referring to Jesus's conception by the Holy Spirit, right? right. So Jesus was specially conceived by the Holy Spirit um, where the Holy Spirit came upon Mary uh, and, and basically put, you know, yep. uh, the, the child in her. Right. Um, or form the child or, um, and we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, maybe, but, um, but the immaculate conception is something different. It is the notion that Mary was conceived and she was conceived in the normal way. So her parents, Joachim and Anna, St. Joachim and St. Anna had her because to just be, they had sex in the normal way. They right. had sexual intercourse and they conceived a child. <clears throat> But at the moment of her conception, God, by a special act of grace, okay, uh, by a special miracle of grace, uh, shielded her from original sin so that she was conceived in the normal way and as a normal human child, but that the uh, original sin of Adam and Eve, in a sense, was interrupted, Mm -hmm. or not passed on to her so that in a sense she was born innocent, okay? Now, this doctrine had been floating around the church from the earliest days of the church. People had been reflecting on uh, Mary and uh, the incarnation um, from the earliest days of the church, but in the early 19th century, under pressure of Protestantism um, in Europe, in which there was arguments that this wasn't scriptural, even though it was an ancient concept mm -hmm. and an ancient deduction or reflection on scripture of the implications of the incarnation, the Pope in the early 19th century sat down and for the first time 
in all of Catholic history invoked the power of the chair of Peter. So there's this whole concept when we talk an episode here coming up uh, hopefully soon about the papacy, we'll talk about this power that the Pope has to speak what's called ex cathedra from the chair of Peter and simply pronounced a doctrine to be true. It's only happened twice in 2,000 years. And the first time is the early 19th century. And the Pope said, look, this is a, this is a deduction, uh, a teaching of the ancient church upon reflection of the incarnation. And I'm simply going to pronounce that it's true on the authority of Peter to be believed. So that's what it is. It's the notion that Mary, the original sin of Adam and Eve, was not passed on to her. And in a sense, she was born innocent. Okay? Not that she was and notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say she was a divine being. And Protestants will say, well, that means you're saying she's some kind of a goddess. No, she was a human being, but she was a, an innocent human being. Um, now, why do Catholics believe this? Or, or maybe a better question is, why did the early church come to this assumption about her? Mm-hmm. And there's three reasons. Um, th- the first one is, has to do with Adam and Eve, Okay. And it is the notion that, in a sense, Mary is the second Eve Mm. or the new Eve. So think about it for a second. The destiny of the universe, human destiny, hung on this balance. There was a young woman, and a young woman or a woman was asked to make a choice. A man and a woman were asked to make a choice. And this woman, Eve, chose to disobey God, to not... Um, accept God's will, to, to, to put her will ahead of God's, right? Mm-hmm. So in the garden, the, you know, the fruit right. of the garden and all this kind of right. stuff to choose, she put her will ahead of God's. And uh, because of that, it created this separation between her and God and between, and remember in Genesis chapter three, when it talks about uh, the curse or the implications, the seed of the women, w- woman, the, the children that she would bring forth would be children that come from that choice to disobey God. Mm-hmm. And God has this redemptive plan that from the seed of the woman will come, you know, you know, the opportunity to turn this around. And so then fast forward, there is God now has a, another young woman who is given a choice to say yes or no to God. And in order to say yes or no to God, and for that to be meaningful, she needs to, in a sense, Eden is being retested, or it's, it's like a, um, right. right? And so it's, in a sense, recreating the condition of Eden, that a young woman um, who is, is not corrupted by sin, uh, not in a default state of rebellion to God, is given a free choice to freely choose to obey God. And so the angel Gabriel appears to her and says, Hail Mary, full of grace, the one who is full of grace. And now here's what's coming. Uh, You know, you will bear this child, right? And what she says is, right, let the Lord's will be done. This is the fiat of Mary, right? Um, She says yes to God. And the ancient church, I mean, again, ancient, ancient church, church fathers had this, this saying, and it kept got picked up over the centuries, and it was the, 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 the first Eve's no brought sin and death. The second Eve's yes brought life So if I have this right, it was, it was um, Eve was created perfect and then fell. Mary was, Mary was given special dispensation 
to be in that position again. Yes. And I'll, to, I'll, let me just correct one word. I'm not saying Eve was perfect, but she was innocent. No, well, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, she, right. She was created innocent. Yeah. And God put Mary, is what, if I understand you right, God put Mary in that place and said, let's do this again. That's exactly right. She's a condition of innocence. And so in a sense, she becomes the second Eve, the new Eve, the, the, the one who is given a choice and she chooses, right, um, to say yes to God. And Eve's yeah, uh, Eve's no to God leads to rebellion, to disease, to death, right, mm-hmm. sin. Whereas the, the, now once again, a young woman, as you say, is put in that position, and in, and in full innocence is allowed to either choose the will of God mm-hmm. or, or her own will. And, and she says yes, and, and it is her yes that allows. And so that's the thing is, is when the Holy Spirit comes upon her and impregnates her through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? This is not imposed on Mary. That's, that's the key. That, you know, we give the Immaculate Conception and the whole Marian ide- right. ideology. This is not imposed on her against her will. It's her yes. She right. allows it. She participates by saying yes to God's plan. And in a sense, she's the only one in all of Scripture that fully says yes to God. Show me another character in Scripture. There are some characters in Scripture that say yes to God for a while or one time and then rebel. Right. So you can look at Abraham says yes, but then Abraham does some things that right. you know disappoint God. Moses says yes to God at times and no to God. David says yes to God, but then he says no to God. Peter says yes to God, but then denies him three times, right? And the thing is, is that the only one in all of Scripture who says fully yes to God and through that yes brings about, allows the incarnation. She says yes to the incarnation and she says yes to the God's plan of redemption and yes to the new humanity. So the, the, the first Eve brings the first Adam, right? And the first mm-hmm. Adam Eve fall. The second Eve says yes and, and brings about the new Adam. And that's, that's what the New Testament calls right. Christ, the new right. Adam. And her yes brings about the new state of humanity in the way that the first Eve. So why the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is it's this notion that Eve was in a state as the, the, uh, the that uh, Mary was in the state as the, the new Eve was given a special grace and in a sense, a sort of space of innocence from which she could make a, you know, a free choice. She really had free will. Because here's the thing, right? None of us, uh, you and I don't, don't really completely have free will because as Paul says, although the spirit in me says yes to God's law, there's another law at work in me, right? That wants to pull me down. That's the law, that's sin in me that is always kind of pulling at me and pulling me away. And so God creates this space for this young woman to be mm-hmm. able to make a completely free choice for God in the same way that Eve did. And so the, the first answer to your question about why the, what the immaculate conception is, the first answer is why is because she's the new Eve. Second reason is because she's the Ark of the New Covenant. Hmm. Now, <clears throat> so, you know, one of the things that I was drilled into me in seminary, because I went to a Calvinist seminary, mm-hmm. and so our whole hermeneutic of scripture was all about um, reading the Old Testament and seeing the foreshadowing and the mm-hmm. typology in the Old Testament to see how it's fulfilled right. in the New. And one of the things that struck me was, as I, as I was taught and instructed to read the Old Testament, that everything in the Old Testament had a foreshadowing in the New or everything was a foreshadowing of the new. So you could point to everything in the Old Testament and say, ah, that's where right. it's fulfilled. And the thing that struck me is 
what I never really understood is what does the Ark of the Covenant that Moses, mm-hmm. you know, builds, what does the Ark foreshadow? Well, let's think about that. So the Ark of the Covenant, if you remember, and mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit comes and lays and descends upon it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's interesting is, is the Hebrew word there about the Holy Spirit descending upon the Ark is the same word that's used when the uh, angel Gabriel descends upon the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. And the Ark, uh, do you remember, Ed, what were the three things in the Ark? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Moses's, Moses' staff. Uh, Aaron's Aaron's staff, staff sorry. Uh, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And I don't remember. A pot of the manna. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's summarize those these way. There was the, uh, the Word of God, right? Mm-hmm. And that would be the, the Ten Commandments. The, 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 it was the, the, the actual tablets were in there. So that's God's Word. Mm-hmm. The staff of Aaron symbolizes the power of the kingship, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 so the, the tablets symbolize the prophet, Mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, the, the, uh, the staff represents the king. But then the third thing in there was the, uh, a pot of the manna that the Israelites were fed with in the wilderness, which is the bread of life. Mm -hmm. Now the Holy spirit descends upon this innocent young woman, not against her will because she says yes to it. Eve's fiat. And when she says yes to it, then what is put inside of her? Well, we have the incarnation. Mm -hmm. And what do we have in Christ? He is the bread of life. Mm -hmm. He is the word of God. And he Mm. is the might of the Lord. And so Eve, in a sense, is the ark of the new covenant. The ark of the old covenant, the old law, right? Mm -hmm. The law of Moses the Ark of the New Covenant is a living Ark, hmm. and it contains the, word, the living Word of God, the living bread of life, the living power of the Lord. And that Ark then goes up into the hill country to her cousin Elizabeth, and John the Baptist rejoices and dances mm-hmm. in the womb of Elizabeth upon its arrival hmm. in the same yeah. way that David, David danced, danced before the Ark of the Other Covenant. And so the Ark of the Old Covenant, the Ark of the Old Law, uh, is foreshadowing the Ark of the New Covenant that brings Mm -hmm. life in Christ. Now, what was required for the Ark of the Old Covenant is that it be sacred, set apart for God. Right. Right? It had to be, right? And so the Ark of the New Covenant, Mary, is sacred. It is set apart for God. The doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, which is, again, not that she was a goddess or a divine being or anything weird. She was conceived as a normal human being in the normal way. She was a human being, but she was given a grace of innocence Mm -hmm. and protected from the stain of original sin so that she could be a fitting Ark for the incarnation of the living Word of God, of the, you know, the, the the living bread of life and the living power of the Lord. So I can see here, okay, I can see here that the, the decision by the church over centuries, the conclusion that they came to about this mm-hmm. wasn't just a bunch of guys sitting around, around in a room saying, hey, I got a good idea. Why don't we just say that she was, you know, it's 
That isn't it at all. No. It was, it's 2,000 years of peering deeply into Scripture. And then my Protestant friends, like you, and when I was a Protestant, miss this because they look at this and they say, well, you know, this isn't scriptural. It's not rooted in Scripture. It's just crazy stuff that Catholics just made up to worship a goddess or something like that, which is exactly not what I'm saying. Right. right? This is all deeply peering deeply into Scripture and understanding the mystery of the Incarnation and the mystery of the typology and how the Old Testament, remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus says to the two apostles, it said he walked them through the Old Testament, mm-hmm. showed how every page of the Old Testament pointed to him. And it's understanding how Eve, the first Eve, is foreshadowing a new Eve, how the first Ark of the Covenant, covenant is sh- of the Old Covenant is foreshadowing an Ark of the New Covenant. Right. Everything in the Old Testament is foreshadowing the new. Third reason, because I said there were three reasons right. the church came to this conclusion. And the third one is something that is, and now this is super weird because Protestants believe it, but they don't know that they believe it. Mm, Really? Yeah. There's stuff that you don't know that you believe. So almost every Protestant denomination holds to the ancient, very, very ancient um, uh, teaching of the church, uh, codified in councils of the church, and every major Protestant denomination is signs on to the ancient uh, things. And that is the teaching of what's called in Greek, the Theotokos. Now, Theotokos is the Greek, is Greek for mother of God. Now stick with me here because Protestants, as soon as they hear this, get absolutely freaked out. Like I got absolutely freaked out. It's like, she's the mother of God. She's a Godmother. She's right, God right, doesn't right. have a mother. <laughs> you know, how can God have a mother if he's from all time? They're going to make blah, a blah, Marvel blah, blah, movie about right? her. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and you go, no, 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 hold on, slow down. Okay. John Calvin, Martin Luther, Wesley, everybody believed this. So let's explain the doctrine. The doctrine is this. If Mary was only the mother of the human half of Jesus, then we have a heresy. And it's an ancient heresy that divides the natures of Christ. Mm. Right? So that, that, that there are these two separate natures. And there's Greek words that refer to this, right? Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, I could go down a rabbit path and walk through the ancient heresies. But there was this notion from the beginning as who is Jesus, right? I mean, he says to one point in John 6 when the crowds leave him, he said, or uh, in John, he says, who, who, who do men say that I am? Right. Right? Um, who do you say that I am? It's a weird question to ask. Who do you say that I am? And remember, Peter says, you, you're the Christ, right. the son of the living God. Now, the, the notion was that in the moment of the incarnation, that Jesus was, and for those Protestants who still say the Apostles' Creed, was both, say it with me, fully God fully and fully man. And those two natures are not divided. He right. isn't ha- like God on one side and man on the other. That's an ancient heresy and leads to all sorts of, you know, terrible, right. heretical under- misunderstandings. That at the moment of the incarnation, the moment of conception by the Holy Spirit and Mary, there was a fusion of these natures. And that the Christ is at the same time fully God and fully man. Are you with me? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the question is, if you say that Mary is only the uh, mother of the human half, then what you're doing is, in a sense, dividing the natures. Okay. Jesus isn't 
Jesus just has these, these different natures and Mary is only kind of a part of them. And there's this other nature and he's like really a God, but then he's just got like, you know, these, all these heresies about uh, uh, like docetism and everything else where it says, well, well, he's like really God, but he's just got kind of like this skin suit on. Oh. <laughs> right? Like he's okay. inhabiting a human right. body. And she's just like some teenage girl that like provides the human body that right. the God being fills. Christ was a unified creature and he was God. Christ is God. Anybody want to deny that? Protestants right. don't want to deny that. So in a sense, what she does is she contributes the human nature to the God man. She contributes the human nature to Christ and Christ being fully God. In a sense, she becomes sort of the mother of the God man. Mm -hmm. um, she contributes half of the inseparable nature of the Christ. And that makes her in a sense, the mother of God mm -hmm. in, a, in a completely mysterious way. Right. Right. right? Um, you remember you took the Dante class that yeah. I taught. And I remember I went on one night, I rhapsodized about one of the, probably the greatest line from Dante and perhaps one of the most brilliant lines of Christian literature uh, when Dante meets Mary in heaven and he says, um, virgin mother, daughter of your son. And it's the mystery of the incarnation. How could a virgin be a mother? And how could, right. and how could a, the, you know, how could she be the daughter to her own son? But there's this tremendous mystery about right. how she contributes this. So in other words, to get back to this, how can she, in a sense, contribute an incorrupt human nature to the Christ, to the anointed one, to the Messiah? Yeah, I see. Only if she has a sort of incorrupted nature to contribute. To give, yeah. To give. And that's why uh, Joseph is not the natural parent of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus was the product of uh, her uncorrupted human nature. Again, not perfect, not a goddess. She was not supernatural. She was not, there's no way, shape, or form is Mary uh, anything other than, and in fact, what I'd say is she, she's not a normal human. She's a fully human. Here's the thing about Mary, right? So if we look at Adam and Eve, in a sense, after the fall, we, we in a sense become less than human. Our human nature was diminished by sin in the fall. Yeah. She is fully human, what a human was meant to be, what a human was designed to be, and she contributes that human nature. But the way that was done is by this extraordinary, miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit to give her at the moment of her own conception by uh, Joachim, Saints Joachim and Anna to give her this sort of uncorrupted nature, which then contributes the human half or the human nature to the God-man Christ. So to summarize, I'm going on and on about this. We asked a simple question, get a long right. answer. Uh, the reason for the Immaculate Conception is three deeply uh, deep reflections and deductions on, uh, on Scripture. And it's, a it's reflection and deduction on uh, the fulfillment of, of, of Eve as the new Eve of the new covenant, the fulfillment or the, uh, of, of what was foreshadowed in uh, the Ark of the Old Covenant, and what the incarnation really means in the natures of Christ. Mm -hmm. and, um, and for all those reasons, the church has always said there's something, something special yeah. Not supernatural, not goddess-like. Right. She's not like a, a, a demigod or a B-grade. She is a fully human. She, in a sense, she is what we would have been had we not fallen. Mm. 
Had Eve and Adam and Eve made a different choice, Mary is, we look to Mary as the, as the most fully human human that's ever lived. Hmm. That's awesome. I, I expected no less of a, than a good answer. Um, so this uh, leads uh, wonderfully right into uh, my next question, um, my next thing here. Uh, my assumption all my life is that the Catholic Church, this is just me looking out, pressing my nose against the window, right, has inserted Mary in between us and Jesus, and that we need to go through her to get to him, in a sense. Um, that doesn't seem right to me, but it sure looks that way mm-hmm. from the outside. Sure. And it looks like, like you know, far, far more attention is paid in everyday Catholic life to her than to Jesus or God the Father. Sure. And am I misreading this? Am I, am I, you know, what am I missing? Is that a cheap shot? You know, am I, I get the feeling that Jesus is just so big mm-hmm. and, uh, and so important that if we come in through Mary, you know, we really got a better shot. What am I, what am I Well, to answer your question, I think it is a cheap shot, but it's a cheap shot that I took. And I and think you expected no less. I expected no less. No, but I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a cheap shot that I took. I think it, I think it's it's a it's a terrible misunderstanding, and I and and I, I not only can I see where it comes from, I I can remember right where that comes from because it was if you reeled the clock back ten or twenty years, I I was making that same assumption, and it was through my own process of sort of understanding this and reflecting on it and reading on it that it began to you know make sense to me, um, because looking from the outside, you look at in a sense popular devotion, you know. Um, so let's let's talk about that. Let's let's look at this a couple different levels. The first is, uh, in a sense, Mary makes the incarnation possible. Mm-hmm. Without Mary, there is not an incarnation. I mean, at one f- practical level, without Mary to provide a womb, right? There is no incarnation, right? And God did not force the incarnation on humanity. She, as the new Eve, said yes, and so Eve's yes opens up the possibility of God's plan for redemption. So in a sense, she's not, to put this in philosophical terms, she's not the ultimate cause of our salvation, Mm -hmm. obviously, God is. But in a sense, she's the proximate cause. In other words, God has an ultimate plan of salvation, but in order to accomplish it, um, Mary is the new Eve, says yes, and her womb provides the new covenant, or the the ark of the new covenant, and she... She right, so she makes the incarnation possible. So, so one thing is, I think, when you look from the outside at Catholicism, you say, why is so much attention paid to Mary? Why is all this stuff that salvation comes through Mary? Well, that's a huge misunderstanding, and that is a cheap shot. When Catholics say salvation comes through Mary, they don't mean we're saved by Mary. They means that our our salvation came through Mary. Mm-hmm doesn't come through it. Do you understand the distinction yes. I'm trying to make here? Right. Our salvation comes, and maybe anybody who's listening to this, be completely clear, we're only saved by one thing. That's the death, uh, you know, the, the death, resurrection of, of Je- death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, sacrificial right. death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ wouldn't have happened if Christ right. hadn't been in, right? God hadn't been incarnated in Christ and, and, and created. And so the incarnation comes through her and through the incarnation comes the sacrifice and death. And so in a sense, Mary becomes kind of a proximate cause mm-hmm. to bring about uh, for, through which God's plan is unfurled, unfolded in human history. So there's a lot of reason why, reasons why Catholics talk about 
uh, salvation through Mary. And it's just a clear, it's just absolutely a misunderstanding. When we say salvation through Mary, what we mean is God's plan came about just as the fall came about through Eve. Salvation came, Eve's choice. Salvation came about because Mary was the vehicle or the proximate cause or the, the, the instrument of the incarnation, which made it possible. That's number one. Number two, um, why is so much a devotion paid to her? And, 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 you know, you said something about why not have Christ more visible? I don't know. You know, you've been to a, at least, at least one Catholic church we went to when you came right. to the cathedral. Jesus was everywhere in the cathedral, right? right? I mean, there's a giant crucifix, right? There's right. crucifixes and pictures of Jesus everywhere. There's an altar. The whole cathedral is shaped from above in the shape of a cross, right? Right. I mean, you sat there and we had the body and blood of Jesus Christ right. on the altar, right? I don't know how much more prominent Jesus Christ can be. Uh, Mary is also there because we're reminded that it is through the incarnation that all this comes about and the reality of the incarnation. Mm-hmm. There's a third reason, I think, though, and that's a devotional reason. And this is, I think, the part that, like, those first two things I just said are kind of doctrinal explanations or intellectual explanations. But this, I think, explains the Marian devotion uh, and why I eventually came to really have a devotion to uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Aside from everything else I've already said so far, Mary was the first and greatest of the disciples. Hmm. Think about that for a second. Um, so Jesus is born, right? She says, yes. Uh, for nine months, she carries, uh, the Christ in mm-hmm. her. She, she, he, he's born, you know, she gives birth to him in that manger and the shepherds come and, right. you know, the, the wise men, and the angels and the whole bit. And she cares for him. And she, she, uh, she's, you know, they're, they're close together. Yep. Um, she is devoted to him. Um, she is, uh, she follows him, you know, she, she, she's, she's always listed as well. In fact, she, she's there at the crucifixion. When Peter denies him and runs away, Mary is there at the foot of the cross. Right. She throughout her entire life followed her son. She was, she knew him literally better than anybody. Right. She's the, she, and, and, and from that point on, even from extra biblical sources, so extra biblical sources, the tradition is, is that, um, she, uh, the apostle John cared for her after Jesus' death, because remember on the cross, he says to John, here's your mother, mother, here's your son. And the apostle John took care of her and she grew old. The apostle John cared for her. right? Right. And in a sense, she becomes the greatest, uh, of the disciples, who nobody followed him more closely, no one knew him better, no one knew her perfectly. So what are things I even just do in my own prayer life or in my own life as, as a Christian is when I sometimes ask um, not what would Jesus do, right? Because that's an important question to ask. Right. But when I ask, what it, how do I be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean for me to like implement that in my life? I go, well, well, the greatest follower of him is from the time we meet her and her humility right. and her saying yes to God and her devotion to him and her following him. Um, uh, it, it, she's a model for, she's the template of the perfect disciple. Mm-hmm. And there's one other thing. 
Why do we ask Mary for favors? Well, the very first, so John has uh, famously uh, seven miracles. There's only seven miracles recorded in the Gospel of John, right? And the first, uh, the greatest, John says, of his miracles, do you remember what it was in the book of John? No. Gospel? The wedding at Cana. Oh, the first one, yes. Yeah. And so they come to the wedding at Cana. Remember what happened is, is, uh, uh, at first, it was like, why are they bothering me to want to make this, you know, to do something about the fact that they ran right. out of wine? And, and Mary comes to him and says, do something for them. And he says, oh, woman, why are you bothering me? Like, right. you know, and he goes, she's do something for him. And he listens to it. And then what, remember what she says? She turns to the servants and said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Right. And you know what's interesting? is in the New Testament, while we see Mary at other times, like we see her at the foot of the cross, right. those are the last words that she speaks in the New Testament. Hmm. Whatever he tells you to do. See, I can, I'm sorry, I could see that th- this is a way I've never thought about this. She was changing his diapers. She was packing his lunch when he went to school. She was the one who held him when he cried. She was the one who, who, who told him, no, you shouldn't do that. He, she was the one who formed him in, in a very great way, had a hand in forming him. And then she went on to serve him. It's, I, I, you know, I, sitting here listening to this, I'm thinking, well, now that I, I could have realized this on my own, but now here I do, um, that she was intimately involved with him. Yeah. How would I... It should be it should be with fear and trembling that I approach Absolutely. Mary if I can Absolutely. and say and say okay look I know I know I'm just Ed from Holland Michigan but you know yeah yeah uh, but yeah but yeah but here but here's I'm gonna say okay what I said but I want to say something when you talked about the the changing the diapers and all this kind of stuff and packing lunch that's true but there's other sides to that too so remember when she uh, and Joseph bring them bring Jesus to the temple mm-hmm. you know on the eighth day. And, and the prophetesses Simeon Annian, you know, pronounce this is the coming of the Messiah right. to her. She takes these things into her heart. Right. She learns. She knows more than anybody else right. what's coming. She knows that he will be the Messiah. It was told to her. Right. The apostle, uh, or the angel Gabriel told her that the salvation of Israel and through the world will be through your son at the time of, right. and she says yes to that. Uh, when she goes up to her cousin Elizabeth and John the Baptist dances in the womb before Mary's approach, um, Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women and through you all the world will be blessed. She takes these things into her heart. She knows him. When he's 12 years old and he gets separated from the family and they find him in the temple teaching uh, the, the teachers of the law instructing them. And he said, don't you know I'm going to be my father's? She knows his mission. Right. And she knows that. She, she sits at his feet and listens. When he goes back to Nazareth and he preaches in the temple that day and says, you know, today this is, or in the synagogue that day, and says today in your sight all these things have been fulfilled and the people try to kill him and throw him off the cliff. She's there. She right. knows her son. She knows his mission. She knows who he is. and. She says yes to it, and she has a knowledge and a depth, and that's why when they say, I think it's interesting in that wedding at Cana, when they come and say, hey, we ran out of wine, well, why would you, when you run out of wine at the wedding, go to Jesus and say, do something? She knows what he can do. 
Right. And yeah. she yeah. knows She's, not just yeah. that he can make magically make adult beverages. Like it's right. just like a random thing. Like, hey, the you know, the the uh the tires on the the limousine, the you know, just married limousine right. broke. Can you like fix magically fix their tires? It's not that. She knows that he brings celebration and life and the transformation of these things. And she goes to him and says, Do something, do something. Right. And then she turns to the servants and say, Whatever he says, do it. And so there is this sense in which Mary has a depth of knowledge knowledge of her son and a depth of knowledge of his mission and a depth of knowledge and intimacy with him. And that's one of the reasons why we ask Mary to intercede on our behalf, because we know from that wedding at Cana that he listens to his mother. Right. That she has the ability, like I would just like, I would say like, you know, we've talked in a previous episode where I said, hey, if you know somebody who's, you know, like a very godly person, you say, would you pray for me? Right. Like I let some friends of mine who are supporters of this ministry and this podcast this morning know about some things. And they said, we promise to pray for it. And they are, you know, real prayer warriors. And I believe right. that some of the things I asked them to pray for for this podcast will come about because they're praying for it because their intercession right. is powerful. Well, how powerful is the intercession of Mary with her son? It's not magic. It's not miracles. It's not, it's not pagan religion. It's just the recognition um, that she know, has an intimacy and, 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 a, and, and a grace with her son. And then it's just the humility of looking at her. Like, you know, we're sitting out here at their, our secret location and, you know, I'm building a little chapel out here in the secret One Whirling Adventure compound. And I'm going to have a little Marian statue in it. And I like to sit and pray my rosary in front of that, not because I'm praying to her as a goddess, but because she reminds me what it means to be a disciple. Mm -hmm. She reminds me what it means to follow Jesus, and she reminds me what it means to do whatever he says. So Marian devotion is greatly misunderstood, and I think some of that stuff is kind of cheap shoddy, or it's a a bad misunderstanding. I had it, so I don't blame anybody for it, because it's but once you really start to ponder it and understand it, and I, you know, investigated it, read about it, talked to people, went down, yeah. and once I started down this, I was like, oh my gosh, how could I have been missing all of this, and how rich is this? Right. I, um, yeah. Now that I, now that I hear all this, I think, well, gee, now I'm, now I'm, if I come to the conclusion that I need to ask Mary to intercede, um. I better have my ducks in a row before I. I well, need no, to sit up straight. But, and, but, but here's okay. Last okay. But hold on a second. No, Mary isn't a high being. Because here's one of them to say. Okay, so at on the cross, Jesus is being crucified. Right. One of the last things he says on the cross is he looks at the apostle John, who doesn't abandon him like Peter. Right. And he says, um, uh, "Behold your mother," and then he says, "Behold your son." Another way the ancient church understood that 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 had two levels. One is specifically the Apostle John. He was giving the Apostle John care for his widowed mother, right? right? You know, make sure that she has food and clothing and provide for her. But in a sense, John represents us in that. Mm -hmm. This is our mother. And and people say, oh my gosh, now this is weird paganism. This is Roman paganism. They go, no, 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 hold on. Who's she the mother of? She's the mother of the Christ, right? Yep. Any dispute to that? Protestant dispute? No. Who, what is the, who, uh, what is the church? The church is what the body of Christ. Body of Christ. We are no dispute to this from Protestants. Paul makes it pretty clear. We are members, right. right? We are parts of Christ's body. In a sense, she's our mother. She's our mother. Yeah, I can see that. Now. And his love for us, he gives us the love of a mother. Not in a weird Roman pagan. Right. She's like some kind of weird goddess. She is. The new Eve, she's the perfect, she's the most fully human. 
but she's also the mother of the Christ and, and in a sense, you know, the mother of the mystical body of Christ. And, and we as members of Christ look to her as a mother who loves us and, and is compassionate toward us and cares for us and, and, and listens to us and cares about. And, you know, how, how deep and wonderful. And this is what kind of frustrates and angers me when people will say that the Catholic Church doesn't have respect for women or it's a patriarchy and you know, all this kind of stuff. You go, how could we have greater respect for womanhood right. than with Mary right. and devotion and understand that God though he was manifested or excuse me, incarnated as Christ, as a man, understood that we need, in a sense of, we need, we need a mother too. Right. You know, we need a mother. We need somebody who cares for us. We need somebody who has a, that, that, that motherly compassion, that sort of maternal care for us. And she's not a co-God or anything crazy like that, but she is the mother of the church. And, and, and when you need to ask her for help because um, you've run out of wine right. in your life. Right. You know, your life is running out of joy and resources and, and, and you're at the end of your own rope. Right. To be able to say, what do I do? Right. And she says, hold on a second. Right. Well, let me talk to my son. And when I do, right. do whatever he tells yeah. you to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is like, this is the meatiest talk we've had so yeah. far, in my opinion, at least, at least personally, because this is something, this is a point I wouldn't, would have taken me a long time to get to. And I didn't understand it at all. Um, just don't tell any of my Protestant friends <laughs> that you've come up, brought me a long way along here. That's right. So we, 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 you know, Ed's name, right? You know, we have docs Ed, Ed, my co-host here, and uh, we can't we can't dox who Ed. We, we really were is. talking about that before we started. That I, someone's going to dox me, and then people are going to be hitting on me at the that's, DNW market. And, that's and, right. Um, so you have. Uh, I'm, I'm going to skip the rest of my questions because you answered them all. Yeah, that's okay. And maybe we can come back and talk Mary. This episode's kind of getting a little long in the tooth. So yep. let's, uh, let's maybe talk Mary, about Mary some more in some other episode. But I think hopefully we got at the meat of some of it. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Thanks, Ed. Yep. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com dot com.